Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well, and I pray that you are absorbed with your family in the season of Advent, the coming of our Lord. We wait for his first coming, but we wait as well for his second coming. It is such um, a blessed time of year, beloved, and um, you know that God has given us the Advent season as a requirement uh, to prepare for Christmas and I see so many, uh, so few who are really uh, leading their families through Advent, uh, so few who are really praying, and so many who have decorated their houses already and filling the shopping malls and all of that. I know it can get exciting and colorful and all of that, but oh, if only we as Catholics would truly practice our faith, if we wouldn't go to the stores to buy anything the entire season of Advent, either we could do it all in November or um, or wait, I'd wait until um, Christmas week. Um, we don't hear at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, we do not, um, uh, we don't send a Christmas card, we do nothing, we don't decorate anything until Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day, and for that Christmas week, we send out Christmas cards and and some gifts. Um, And we pray the whole time, and we increase our prayer time. And it's a very beautiful time of waiting for our Lord to come into such a world as he finds us now. He said, when I return, will I even find faith on the earth? And the growing evil is is, uh, mounting every single day Uh, mandates for the vaccine um, which I pray if anyone is um, concerned about the vaccine concerned about whether or not to take it the answer is absolutely no it is evil it is evil apart from um, having been made or tested from aborted fetal parts um, it has been shown by the medical industry to be evil it has metallic in it it's going to destroy the body. Um, uh, I can I can name some other things that have been written that are extraordinarily frightening. I don't want to say them because I know some of you have or know people who have taken the vaccine. Um, but I I would beg everybody not to not to get give in to this evil um, for the purpose of killing off a great amount of the population, and totalitarian control. Um, These are not uh, conspiracy theories. This has already been proven um, by many doctors. And the vaccine mandates, I just heard that there's a vaccine, I saw in the news this morning, vaccine passport uh, required for children ages 5 to 11. Um... It is evil. It is purely evil. And I say, don't dare let your child be vaccinated. I don't care what the government mandates. Take them home and protect them. Get them out of school. 
it is totally evil and it its object is to either murder or change the DNA and control the whole population take your children home protect them Sweden is now already installing the vax chip into the arm um, again uh, I have not said nor has anybody said that the vaccine is the mark of the beast but I have all I have said and believe it to be training wheels for the mark of the beast and the chip may be the final step. I don't know. I don't know these things. I only know it's absolutely evil. It's not an opinion, beloved. It's evil. So the thing to do is bring your family home, live the faith, teach the faith, know who you are. It's the only protection and trust in God. If you're fired from your job because you don't take the vaccine by the end of this year, so be it. Be fired from your job. Go start your own home business. Mow people's lawns. uh, Fix their computers. Whatever your specialty is, just go around your neighborhood and tell them that that's your business. Get a little business card and, and tell them that you're a handyman or you're an IT person or you clean houses, whatever you do. I Years ago, I cleaned houses for the things I wanted. Um, um, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. It was actually a barter. I didn't have the money. We traded my cleaning for a stove and refrigerator. That's how I started out in my, in my early 20s. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the whole world, before there was the exchange of money we have today, did things on that barter trade. It's, it's a good thing. So um, maybe there's um, uh, some women at home who are homeschooling their children and um, they can take in your child and have a little co-op and you can give them some expenses or make cookies for the children or do something. Um, uh, maybe you can start a little co-op and begin to invite the children of the neighborhood in. Uh, to to homeschool them if their mother is not able to do it or if there's a single mother who must work. We have to come together and resist the evil in the world, not give in to it no matter what the cost, and, um, and protect one another and grow up as a strong Catholics. <clears throat> Last week, we began the history of Advent by Dom Prosper Geringer, he's just fantastic, wrote in the 1800s, restored the Benedictine um, Monastery of St. Peter's um, in Salem and Gregorian chant to Europe. And his writings are fantastic. He has a 15-volume set. And um, uh, we weren't on Thursday and Friday, and probably most of what we said is now lost. So I'm going to begin at the beginning of the article rather than halfway down on the history of Advent. And he says the name Advent, it's from the Latin word Adventus, which means a coming. It is applied in the Latin church to that period of the year during which, listen to this, the church requires the faithful to prepare for the celebration of the Feast of Christmas. Did you know that? Did you know that the church requires it? I haven't heard a single priest say it. I haven't heard a single... I've heard them say it's Advent and prepare and, you know, cut down this or cut down that. That's hardly following the church's um, um, directions or instructions. It is required that we prepare for the coming of the Lord. 
the anniversary of the birth of Christ. The mystery of that great day had every right to the honor of being prepared for by prayer and works of penance. And what penance do we do? Well, we are very faithful to prayer, always because we are Benedictine sisters here. But during Advent, we spend the entire uh, season of Advent having one meal a day, except on Sundays. Um, Saturday night, which begins Sunday and Sunday, or a holy day of obligation, will have a second little meal or snack. But um, there needs to be something in your family, beloved. Uh, eliminate desserts, eliminate a meal, uh, have extra prayer as a family, do something uh, to prepare for the coming of the Lord. I think if you don't and you have children, I think it's an abuse on your part. If you don't prepare them for Christmas, if you don't celebrate Advent, I think it's an abuse, one, because the church requires it, and um, and it's the most important thing. And if you fill their lives with things that are inconsequential, that mean very little, or they focus on the gifts they're going to get on Christmas and not on the meaning of what's going on and even the meaning of Advent, I, I do say it's an abusive situation that you're causing your children because they've been baptized and they have a right to their Catholic faith. Don't rob them of it. Don't rob them of it, beloved. Let me just see. Um, Because this season had been long observed before it even received the name of Advent. Um, It would seem, however, that its observance first began in the West, since it is evident that Advent could not have been looked on as a preparation for the Feast of Christmas until that feast was definitively fixed to the 25th of December, which was done in the East only toward the close of the 4th century, whereas it is certain that the Church of Rome kept the feast on that day and a much earlier period. We must look upon Advent in two different lights. First, as a time of preparation, properly so called, for the birth of our Savior, by works of penance. And secondly, as a series of ecclesiastical offices drawn up for the same purpose. We find as far back as the 5th century, the custom of giving exhortations to the people in order to prepare them For the Feast of Christmas, we have two sermons of St. Maximus of Turin on this subject, not to speak of several others, which were formally attributed to St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, but which were probably written by St. Caesarius of Ares. Um, Beloved, there's the music for our first break, and when we come back, from our second we'll continue this after the first break and when we come back from the second break we'll take your calls your emails your text whatever's on your heart and the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com we'll be right back
We offer several ways to view our programming grid, including at our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are uh, just uh, past the beginning of um, the of a, um, a, a writing by Don Prosper Garagé in the 1800s on the uh, history of Advent, and he's pointing out that special sermons were common for Advent that would be preached apart from regular sermons of the season. He says, St. Ivo of Chartres, St. Bernard, and several other doctors of the 11th and 12th centuries have left, left us set sermons, de eventu domini, of the uh, advent of our Lord, quite distinct from their Sunday homilies on the Gospels of that season. In the Capitularia of Charles the Bald in 846, the bishops, now listen to this, Bishops, the bishops admonish that prince not to call them away from their churches during Lent or Advent under pretext of affairs of the state or the necessities of war, seeing that they have special duties to fulfill, and particularly that of preaching during those sacred times. Could you see that today? Would you wish for that today? Would you pray for that today? Bishops say to President Biden, uh, even say to the uh, governors and whoever else imposes anything on them, uh, you cannot call us away from our churches. We need to preach during this time of Advent. 
<clears throat> we need to help the people prepare for Christmas. The oldest document in which we find the length and exercises of Advent mentioned with anything like clearness is a passage in the second book of the history of the Franks by St. Gregory of Tours, where he says that St. Perpetuus, one of his predecessors, who held that see about the year 480, had decreed a fast three times a week from the Feast of St. Martin until Christmas. It would be impossible to to decide whether St. Perpetuus, by his regulations, established a new custom or merely enforced an already existing law. Let us, however, note this interval of 40, or rather 43 days, so expressly mentioned and consecrated to penance as though it were a second Lent, though less strict and severe than that which precedes Easter. Beloved, your family should, you should lead them through a form of fasting, whatever it is, one meal a week, um, one day a week, um, no desserts, um, whatever it is, uh, every Friday, that's of course every Friday from Lent, we abstain from meat, but there'd be nothing wrong from abstaining or fasting with something on Fridays. Again, to remember the death of our Lord, that's why he came. We're preparing for his coming, which prepares for his death. Dom Geringer continues, Later on, we find the ninth canon of the First Council of Mechon, held in 582, ordaining that during the same interval between St. Martin's Day and Christmas, the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays should be fasting days. We fast here on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. We abstain Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, and we fast on Wednesdays and Fridays the entire year. And we're doing more for Advent by by having one meal a day throughout the season. This practice of penance soon extended to the whole 40 days, even for the laity, and was commonly called St. Martin's Lent. The Capitularia of Charlemagne in the sixth book leaves us no doubt on the matter. And Rabanus Morris in the second book of his Institution of Clerics bears testimony to this observance. There were even special rejoicings made on St. Martin's Feast, just as we see them practiced now at the approach of Lent and Easter. The obligation of observing this Lent, this is not Lent, this is Advent, but it needs to have a, an atmosphere and a practice of penance to it. The obligation of observing this Lent, which though introduced so imperceptibly, had by degrees acquired the force of a sacred law, began began to be relaxed, and the 40 days from St. Martin's Day to Christmas were reduced to four weeks. We have seen that this fast began to be observed first in France, but then it spread to England, as we find from Venerable Bede's history, into Italy, as appears from a diploma of Elstaphus, king of the Lombards, dated 753, and into Germany, Spain, etc., of which the proofs may be seen in the learned work of Darm Martin on the ancient rites of the Church. The first allusion to Advent's being reduced to four weeks, so for us it's so long, but it used to be 40 days, and in some cases 43, just four weeks. 
is to be found in the ninth century in a letter of Pope St. Nicholas I to the Bulgarians, the testimony of Ratherius of Verona and of Abbo of Flori, both writers of the 10th century, goes also to prove that even then, the question of reducing the duration of the Advent fast by one-third was seriously entertained. It is true that St. Peter Damien in the 11th century speaks of the Advent fast as still being 40 days and that St. Louis, two centuries later, kept it for that length of time. But as far as this holy king is concerned, it is probable that it was only his own devotion which prompted him to this practice. Oh, you see, the church establishes things for love of Christ and eventually... They get watered down, they get lessened in duration, until today we have so little knowledge of our church. We practice so little. Holy days are transferred to Sunday, which I think is an abuse to the people of God. It robs us of our faith. People go on Sunday, they always go on Sunday, they don't even know what's happening. I ask people if they attend the Easter Triduum and they've never even heard of the word, they don't know what I'm talking about. And even when I explain it, they don't know it. It's a shame. Bishops, priests, we beg you as sheep, don't rob us of the faith. Don't water it down. How do you raise young teenagers who often become rebellious? By taking responsibility away? Absolutely not. By giving them great responsibility. Letting them grow up into who God may be. I continue here. Um, the discipline of the churches of the West, having after having reduced the time of the Advent fast, so far relented in a few years as to change the fast into a simple abstinence. And we even find councils of the 12th century, for instance, Selingstadt in 1122 and Averenches in 1172, which seem to require only the clergy to observe this abstinence. The Council of Salisbury, held in 1281, would seem to expect none but monks to keep it. On the other hand, for the whole subject is very confused, owing no doubt to there never having been any uniformity of discipline regarding it in the Western Church, we find Pope Innocent III in his letter to the Bishop of Braga mentioning the custom of fasting during the whole of Advent as being that time observed in Rome. And Durandus, in the same 13th century, in his Rationale on Divine Offices, tells us that in France, fasting was uninterruptedly observed during the whole of that time. This much is certain, that by degrees, the custom of fasting so far fell into disuse that when, in 1362, Pope Urban V endeavored to prevent the total decay of the Advent penance, all he insisted upon was that all the clerics of his court should keep abstinence during Advent without in any way including others, either clergy or laity, in this law. It breaks my heart just reading this. St. Charles Borromeo also strove to bring back his people of Milan to the spirit, if not to the letter, of ancient times. In his fourth council, 
he enjoys the parish he enjoins the parish priests to exhort the faithful to go to communion on the Sundays at least of Lent and Advent and afterwards addressed to the faithful themselves a pastoral letter in which every, after having reminded them of the dispositions wherewith they ought to spend this holy time, he strongly urges them to fast on the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at least of each week in Advent. Finally, Pope Benedict XVI, when Archbishop of Bologna, following these illustrious examples, wrote his 11th Ecclesiastical Institution for the purpose of exciting in the minds of his diocesans, the exalted idea which the Christians of former times had of the holy season of Advent and of removing an erroneous opinion which prevailed in those parts, namely, that Advent concerned religious only and not the laity. He shows them that such an opinion, unless it be limited to the two practices of fasting and abstinence, is strictly speaking rash and scandalous, since it cannot be denied that in the laws and usages of the universal church there exist special practices having for their end to prepare the faithful for the great feast of the birth of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I have no idea where it ever happened that the idea came that only priests and religious fast and celebrate times of abstinence and all of that. Um, I tell you, um, we as a people have all over the world have truly been robbed of our faith. And I call it an abuse, dear bishops. You are charged with handing down the faith from the apostles, the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. That faith... um, given to the church, once delivered to the church through the apostles and handed down through the successes of the apostles who are our bishops today. You are charged with teaching us the faith and you have hidden it. You have hidden it. You have destroyed it. You have abused the sheep. Um, We beg you to bring back the holy days of observation and stop moving them till Sunday uh, because you destroy them. Um, and then but that's why we have two calendars now, the more traditional calendar and the modern calendar. It's ridiculous. God has not given us the modern calendar. He's given us the feast to celebrate, the Triduum of Easter, Advent prior to Christmas, and the holy days of obligation to be celebrated and observed on those holy days, not switched to Sunday so they lose all meaning for the convenience of the sheep. It's not the convenience of the sheep. It's destroying the sheep. And the sheep beg you to not rob us of the faith and to bring all these beautiful practices back. Um, There's the music um, for our second break, beloved. And as I mentioned before, when we come back from this break, we'll take your calls, your emails, your texts. Toll free, the number is one 877 5115483 or email at mother at We'll be right back.
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, Love in Truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together with anything on your heart whatsoever. It does not need to be our topic, but it's the heart of the matter. It's the matter of your heart. And feel free, our lines are wide open to call in anytime during this half hour. Toll free at one 511 5483 or email at mother at the have an email from Michelle who writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I really appreciate all the wisdom you have to share with the world. Thank you, Michelle. Um, Michelle writes, I have suffered from years, four years, from mental health issues and struggle to love myself as a person. It is affecting my relationship with my parents and also my sister. I would very much appreciate any advice you can give me. Thank you. God bless you, Michelle. A couple of things, Michelle. If you're struggling with mental health issues, um, I'm going to hope that you've seen a mental health specialist of some sort who may be able to help you even with certain types of medication. If we have physical issues, we take antibiotics and medication, and it's no different with our brain or our head or our chemistry or whatever causes us um, mental health issues instead of heart health issues or feet health issues. And, and there are medicines that can really help us that way. 
second thing uh, I would suggest that you find a good nutritionist who can also help you greatly um, with things that could affect your mental health as well. Uh, stay off certain foods or eat other foods or uh, that, those kinds of things could really be of help. And thirdly, dear one, you say you struggle to love yourself. And I would ask you, you're not on the phone, so I can't hear you answering. Do you love your parents? Do you love your sister? And I think you're going to say yes. And I would ask you how you love them. You love them by calling them, asking them how they're doing, giving them gifts, helping them when they're in need, meeting their needs. That's how we love. And I would suggest that we all, and our Lord says to love others as we love ourselves. It's not if we love ourselves, it's as we love ourselves. We do love ourselves, Michelle. I don't know you, but you do love yourself. You do, you eat when you're hungry, you put a sweater on when you're cold, you go to sleep when you're tired, you love yourself apart from emotions. And if you read the whole Bible, love is a verb, it's not a feeling. It's very, very, very few times um, referred to as an emotion at all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He sacrificed, he gave. It's what love does. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, uh, love is, it, it describes what love does. Um, so it's not that you don't love yourself properly, it's that you don't feel good about yourself. And that is um, understandable. And I would say, Michelle, that the best way when we are down on ourselves, when we don't feel that we have much worth or that we're loved or any of that, the best way is to reach out to others. Give your life away. That's what we're called to do. Don't worry about loving yourself or even being loved. Give your life away. And you will know how much you're loved by God, and that will fill you to give your life away to others. I don't know if you work, I don't know if you're home, but whatever you do, find people to love. Find um, um, a homeless shelter to help, or uh, an elderly assisted living place, or an orphanage with children, or something. Find a place where you can give your life away. And you'll know that you're working with God and you will be pleased and you will not um, um, go around feeling badly about yourself. Um, we have a call from Bernadette in Indiana. Hi, Bernadette. Hi, Mother. How you doing? Okay. It's good to uh, hear you again. I seldom have. I've usually got a conflict of time and don't get to tune you in. Mm. But my guts wrench every time I hear this absolutely gorgeous melody that everybody's in love with that flies in the face and denies the Immaculate Conception. And of course, I'm speaking of Mary, did you know? Oh, you know something? I, I feel the same because of course she knew. And I think it's a Protestant song, and they don't understand what we know about Mary. Well, and I used to think, yeah, she knew because she, she knew. gave her fiat to becoming the mother of God, which the yeah. angel Gabriel announced. But actually, before you even get into that, and I just looked up because I researched it, a Father Robert McTeague, maybe yep. that's how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. 
said uh, where it comes in. Let me flip it over because I copied the text and I thought maybe maybe somebody needs to change the words of this song and keep the melody because everybody loves the melody, but they don't even think about it. So okay, so it says. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new and would save you and your sons and daughters? Well, that flies in the face of the Immaculate Conception and denies it. And uh, I put a link on one of our churches, and they threw me off their list. Well, you know, when I heard Save Your Sons and Daughters, it never occurred to me that it meant that she would bear sons and daughters. I I just figured that was spiritual sons and daughters. I never even thought about it the other way because I'm Catholic. So I never thought about it. Um, And somewhere in here, yeah, this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. That is the heart and soul of where it's it's heresy, utterly heresy. They don't. It's a Protestant song. You know, I heard it as a Protestant before I became Catholic. And I was amazed that any song was written by Protestants about Mary at all. Um, and I didn't see anything wrong with it. And now I'm totally with you, Bernadette. It's complete heresy, but it's Protestant. And I hope Catholics understand that it's false doctrine. Well, and I think it's important to rewrite it. I did that with one song because nobody can deny this is one of the most beautiful melodies, and everybody's in love with it, and they don't even think, but it, it turns the faith around. Mm-hmm. Why don't you rewrite it and say, Mary, yes, you knew. Mary, I'm, yes, you knew that your little son. Yeah, turn it around and write them a Catholic version of it. Maybe they'll publish it. Yeah, I've done that with a song called um, In the Presence or something like that. And mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, Mother. I don't want to take any more of your uh, time, Bernadette, but- I love your heart. I love that you think. People don't think. They speak and they sing and they don't think. I love that you do. You know, I studied for opera starting in college, but I can't memorize. I'm a good sight reader, and and I can't memorize, so I never went that route. But what it magnifies is that the purpose of the music, the elements of the music, the rhythm, the melody, the rise and fall, is to magnify the text. And the text is a prayer that lifts mind and heart to God. Good for you. And if it's not doing that, if it's something that you dance to, and that's most people go to church, and they like the music if it's entertaining mm-hmm. and it just flies in the face that's not the purpose of the music you're right a hundred thousand percent right that's why guitars are not allowed even though they are in catholic churches they're not allowed uh banjos guitars drums they're not allowed in catholic churches even though people have them because they don't lift our heart to god yep Organ, flutes, recorder, violins, those are absolutely lovely. There you go. There you go. Good for you, Bernadette. God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you. Um, We have an email from Suzanne who says, Mother, how do I know if my deceased husband is in heaven? He passed from a stroke and last rites. I had to authorize the discontinuation of his feeding tube and hydration. Well, I don't know what that situation entailed, so I won't speak to that. But we cannot know, Suzanne, that our loved ones are in heaven. There's no way, unless they're canonized, you know, um, 
In fact, some funerals are terrible because the priest tells everybody they're now in heaven, which means he canonizes them. And we can't know that. And if we assume someone's in heaven, we do them a great disservice because they may need our prayers if they're in purgatory. And most people are do go through purgatory first. So um, we cannot know that unless God sends you a miracle of, of, uh, of information or somehow lets you know. But you cannot know that. And so it's important for us to, um, to keep praying, to keep praying for our loved ones. I pray every single night for a whole bunch of people who died many years ago, many years ago. Um, I pray for those who I don't even know died in a state of grace because they could have died in a state of grace, and I don't know it. I don't stop praying for them. And we know that our Blessed Mother, if they're in heaven, will well, will not waste our prayer. She'll apply them to whoever needs them. So, Suzanne, you keep praying for your deceased husband and um, and trust God, the God of the whole earth, to do what is right and holy. If your husband died in a state of grace, you can have the confidence, the moral assurance that he will be in heaven, but you can't not you cannot know that he already is. Um, okay, uh, let me see now. Here's an email from someone who writes in anonymously. Um, all right. Um, it's a bit of a lengthy email, but it has, uh, to do with marriage. And I know when these come in, I haven't read it yet. I just see it's a bit lengthy. Uh, I know when these come in that, they hit many, many hearts. Um, uh, this one writes, Dear Mother Miriam, will you please help me with my marriage? I'm desperate and depressed. We have been together 11 years, married more than nine years, with three boys, ages three, six, and eight. Um, and I'm just going to say, I, I think I'm going to, because it's such a long email, I'm going to stop and comment along the way. Um, that's already a sign of great trouble. If you say you've been together 11 years, married more than nine years. If you dated the two years you before you were married, all right. But if you've been together and lived together for two years uh, before you were married, that already spells trouble. Most people who live together before they're married and then get married uh, wind up with a broken marriage. The majority do. So that's already a problem that you've been together if you meant that. And um, let's see now, this person writes, over the years, I slash we have tried 10 plus counselors, always my suggestion, but never once have we gotten to the point where we could address any of the issues going on. Too much defensiveness and anger. You need to get to the right counselor. There is defensiveness and anger on both your parts, but you need the right counselor is what you need, who will not, who will know how to work with you. I recently confided a bit to my best friend of 30 years who happens to be a psychologist and she said it sounds as if my husband may have borderline personality disorder. Who knows if that is accurate, but if the description of borderline personality disorder seems to match, um, but the description seems to match what I'm going through, well, it might, it might, of course. So she writes, in short, the relationship is beyond tumultuous. 
He has no boundaries when he's upset. The things my children have heard him say about my family and me make me sick. My oldest has been physical. My oldest has seen physical violence, relatively mild and rare as far as those things go, and they all have heard it. I've tried every approach, read about 15 books on verbally and emotionally abusive partners and on partners with um, BPD. Um, bipolar disorder. Oh dear. There's the music for our break, beloved. We're going to continue this after the break and um, uh, I think we're going to be spending a lot of time after the break on this email. Uh, If you have a matter to call in for, go ahead at 1-877-511-5483. We'll be right back. Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station when it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic, has enriched my faith, and sold me during tough times, and made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, We have a very long email, which I've just decided not to read aloud. It is um, uh, written from a wife who writes anonymously, who's having great problems. Dear one, if you're listening, I read through your email. I'm almost at the bottom of it. 
It is such despicable behavior from the husband, tremendously abusive, extremely destructive for the children who are beginning to mimic his words and his behavior against their mom. When your children do that, you quietly don't shout at them. You quietly give them a very serious um, penance. Do not let them speak to you like that. Um, And uh, let me just say, um, your husband was baptized but is not a believer in anything. I don't know if you were married in the Catholic Church. Um, Your family loves him. He's sweet to them. Um, He's talented and lots of good things. Um, But everything falls on the wife. I'm just scanning this. Um, I tell you what, um, this is a... um, Hold on now, another counselor. And and I'll just read one one paragraph here. Um, If I can go back to it, I'm sorry. It's just quite a long email. um, Where she has gone to counselors. Um, um, Do not work, I'm sorry. I wish I could find that spot again. One counselor who told her that um, in her church, hold on now, relationship, um, there's no boundaries. He's abusive to her. Um, It's embarrassing. His manipulation of her, his handling of her is destructive, embarrassing before the children. And she says, every counselor except one has advised divorce. And the one at her church, this is what I'm going to read. This is an awful counselor. The one at church said, God does not make mistakes, accused me of playing the victim, and said I'm only to focus on myself and not to worry about my husband. This is awful. She said, if a man is hitting his wife, then you have to wonder what the woman is doing to deserve it. Oh, this is, this, this woman, whoever she is, anonymous, uh, stay away from her. She should not be a counselor at all. Uh, she doesn't know what she's saying, and she has likely problems of his, her own. Um, it's not a hopeless situation, is what she asks in the email. Um, Yes, you say I've scheduled another appointment with another counselor who specializes in bipolar bipolar disorder, but I'm sick of going to talk to him when he refuses to go. Let him refuse to go. You go. You go alone so you can get some help. Um, What you've described, dear one, that I don't even want to read the whole thing on air, what you've described is so awful It's destroying your home, it's destroying you, and destroying your children. Your children are already in bad shape from this. I'm not going to counsel divorce, but I am going to counsel that you separate. I am going to counsel that you separate. You say you're at home, you don't work, you're going to need some kind of financial assistance. But don't let your family be destroyed for that reason. You need to get you and your three children out of that house, away from him, or get him out somehow. And you tell him that there is no solution to this um, unless he will go see a counselor and take some medicine that will deal with his uh, uncontrollable behavior. 
and his vocabulary and everything he does. He may not believe you if he's in, if he is bipolar. He's not going to acknowledge it if he's not on medication. Um, and, and your family's not acknowledging it. The counselors don't acknowledge I'm telling you, if you can, do everything you can to get you and your three children in a different living situation. Not to divorce, but let your husband know that you're done. Until he gets help, you are through. Uh, having the children exposed to his outbursts, his language, his hitting you, um, his... Um, what he says to the children, what he says to you in front of them, uh, how it's ruining the children and they're copying his behavior toward you, which is, uh, you must find a way to stop that and discipline them. So I would say do everything you can to separate. Don't threaten your husband. Just say, find a way that you can live because it won't work. Find a way that you can live with either your parents or friends or someone who will give you a guest house, do something and start working from home. Uh, let maybe your own family help um, and, and just say to your husband, honey, I love you. We're married. Um, I never want to divorce you, but I cannot let you destroy these children and the family. We're going to leave you and you can leave the house or we will leave until you get help. I would do that. And I would have, uh, if you can have a priest or a good psychologist with you, at least a good priest with you, um, when you confront him, that would be the best. So you're not in harm in any way. But you've got to separate yourself from this man until he gets help. Okay, I rarely, rarely suggest that people separate. And again, I don't counsel divorce. And if you say he's baptized but believes nothing, again, I don't know. You haven't said anything about the Catholic faith. If you're Catholic, if you were married in the church, if you have the, the sacraments, I don't know. So it's a very difficult situation. But I think you need to bring yourself and your children to safety in every way in this situation. And that's your primary thing. And he needs help. Uh, he needs help. Um, let me see now. Um, oh, my dear. Um, let me take a, an email from the Contrera family who writes, Blessed be God forever, forever, Mother Miriam. I hope you're well in health and faith. Thank you very much. I'm getting stronger each day. I still have this lingering cold, but I'm doing great. I'm reaching out because I've always seen you as a straightforward arrow in Christ. Good. You say things as they are and stand strong for your Catholic values. Currently, we have a big issue in our Catholic school, St. Pius X. For many decades, our school was known as a school with a strong Catholic identity. But this last year, things have changed drastically. We have teachers that are not Catholic or had never taught in a Catholic school nor attended a Catholic school. We have a principal and a diocese with very, very liberal ideas and pastor that is willing to sacrifice his hardcore Catholic families for his personal interest. I'm not sure how that comes together. Our curriculum is now teaching kids with a secular view instead of using our Catholic lenses. Our fourth graders read a story about the good lie. Our eighth graders are writing their own declaration of independence and our seventh graders are making a 3D Mecca 
These are only a few small examples of what our students are experiencing with these teachers. I'm reading fast because it's almost the end of the program. We are paying for secular education. It is so frustrating to see how families are leaving our school. And unfortunately, the priest is not only losing students, but families are leaving and they should. Our parish to seek real Catholic truth. I ask myself, where are my vocations going? I know you will have the right words for us to continue to stand for Christ's teachings and Catholic values. As Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, tolerance applies only to persons, never to truth. Blessings to Contreras. I have one word. We have 15 seconds left. Um, Get your children out of that school and get yourself out of that parish. That's it. Don't hang around. Get them out of that school. Find a better school for them or homeschool them no matter what you have to do to bring them home. Get them out of that school and get yourselves out of that parish. There's nothing else for you to do right now. Save your children and yourselves and the Catholic faith. We'll see all of you tomorrow, beloved.